We long to be a part of something. Uh, we long to be a part of something bigger than us. Uh, we long for community and purpose. Uh, and that's part of human nature. And I believe that that's part of the human nature that God built that desire in our hearts, that longing for, uh, for community and purpose, uh, so that we would find the answer to that in Him and in the church. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I've titled today's sermon, Called into Jesus' Mission. Called into Jesus' Mission. And we're gonna, I'm going to read the text for us, Luke 6, verse 12 through 19, and then pray for us. Luke 6, starting in verse 12, During those days... He went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon called the zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed by their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as I pray each week, I pray now that we will believe it and that we will respond to it as you call us to this week. Work in our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, for that purpose and then build us up and use us for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as we examine the text today, uh, we're going to consider that Jesus has provided the answer uh, for that longing that we have in our hearts, the, the, the longing for community and purpose. And so the first thing that we see in this text is this. Jesus called a united and diverse I'm sorry, Jesus called and united a diverse group for his mission. Jesus called and united a diverse group for his mission. So let's look back at 12 through 16 in Luke 6. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So verse 12, we've seen this before, Uh, Jesus... Uh, going out and spending the night in prayer. 
the, the first scene where we saw this was uh, as his ministry was taking off, as, as people were, you know, coming in crowds to him to be healed and to hear his teaching, Jesus withdrew in the, and spent the night in prayer. And here we see this again. Uh, going out and the the language meaning like praying through the night, an entire night of prayer, not saying a, a prayer before bedtime, but prayed, continued in prayer through the entire night. On the the night before, he's going to call out his apostles. He is drawing close to God the Father and. Praying, uh, likely praying for them, uh, praying for the mission that he is going to put them on, uh, praying for what he has in store for them. And as we talked about this the first time, this is if, if our Savior, if the divine Son of God made it an essential part of his life to draw close to the Father in prayer, then it should be a vital part of, of our life and it should be a vital part of our ministry. If we're going to be on mission with Jesus Christ, which he has called us to, then we need to be faithful in prayer over that work. Not, not so distracted by the work or so consumed with the busyness of the work that we feel like we can't go to prayer, but making that a priority for us. And then verse 13, after praying all night long, uh, he calls his followers. So there's a larger group of disciples there, a larger group of followers who have been, have been following him, learning from him. He calls them together. He summons that larger group together. And from that larger group, he appoints 12 men who will be his apostles. Now the word apostles is a messenger. It's, it's an individual who is sent out with a message. And Jesus calls these 12 men his apostles because he is going to train them up for the next few years. And then they will be sent out on a mission with the message of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has accomplished. And then in verse 14 through 16, we get the, the list of names. And it, it's interesting. There's a few interesting things to note about the names there. Uh, who we called. Uh, one of the first things I would point out is, is who he didn't call. Uh, I, it's interesting that he didn't choose a, any individuals that were known for their influence. Right? He didn't choose a, one of the religious leaders of the day. He didn't choose a politician. He didn't choose someone that was known for their power and what they could do. He didn't look at these 12 and say, man, I need that guy on my team because he could really help me change the world. He wasn't choosing an individual based off of what they had to offer. He chose ordinary people, people like you and me. Right? He, he calls out these 12 apostles and says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to shape you and I'm going to put you on a mission. He picked a group of guys that were a dime a dozen. Right? 
a very diverse group, uh, a group of fishermen, a uh, you know a couple different sets of brothers, possibly three sets of brothers, but at least two. He chose a tax collector, and then he chose someone known as a zealot. Zealots were the Jewish revolutionaries. They were in opposition to Rome and and longing for the day and working towards the day where Rome could be overthrown and and Israel could be restored to power, independent power. He chose this diverse group that doesn't really mesh well together from the world standards. Word, individuals that you wouldn't think, yeah, those, those people really fit together. And especially you can see that with the tax collector and the zealot. Right? The tax collector, people despised him because he essentially was, you know, had joined up with Rome. He worked for the Roman government to take money from the people. And then oftentimes, the reason they were despised, we've talked about, is because they used that then to also line their own pockets by cheating the people out of their money. So you've got a guy that has kind of joined up with Rome, is, is on their side, and then a guy who's actively longing for and working towards overthrowing Rome. And Jesus says, these guys go together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these guys together on mission. And from the world standpoint, look at it and say, that, that's not going to fit. That's not going to work. Not by the world standards, but Jesus calls this diverse group of individuals, this group of kind of what we would say is just kind of regular nobodies. They weren't, they weren't known for anything in themselves. And he puts them, he unites them together as one and puts them on mission to seek and save the lost. And that Jesus is still doing that today with the church. Right? He is still calling together a diverse group of people that when you look at them, you might think, they don't seem to go together. Do you ever meet a couple like that? That you, you know one and you meet their spouse? And you're like, oh, I wouldn't put those two together. That, like, they, they don't seem like that, but somehow they fit. They work. That's amazing. Jesus is doing that with his church, putting people that you think, hey, from the world standards, we may not line up, we may not look like we would fit together and that we would be able to work together for a purpose. But Jesus Christ is doing that in the church and that's what he desires to do with us, to build up a diverse group of people, unite them as one and put them on mission. Not because the people have anything to offer. It's just His way to shock the world of what He's able to do. In 1 Corinthians, considering that call of individuals that are not known for really their influence, Paul writes these words, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. Not many of you were wise. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't call certain individuals who are wise or powerful or of noble birth. He certainly calls all kinds of people. But God in his church loves calling individuals who aren't going to rely on themselves and what they have to offer. But are just going to say, hey, I've got nothing except I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to do what you want. And then... God, He just completely shakes the world. He, the, the world is kind of thrown aside, like just mind blown. How does this work? But God is working in a group of nobodies to take this message of the Savior out. And He wants this group to be united. He wants this group to be one. We see Jesus actually pray for that. Uh, you know, right before he uh, dies, he prays. The Gospel of John in John 17 records that prayer. And there's a section where he prays for us today. For the people who will come to faith one day, he prays. And this is what he prays. He prays for unity. John 17, verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me. Through their word, may they all be one as you, Father, and in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be as one as we are. I am in them and you are in me and so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and that have loved me and that, and have loved them and that you have loved me. Jesus prays for unity. He prays for the believers, us in the church to be completely united as one. And he doesn't just pray that because it would be easier for us. And of course, that's a benefit when we are united and aren't divided over all kinds of silly things that are easily distracting to us. When we're actually united for a purpose, it is a joy to be a part of that. But he's not praying for that just so that we'll get to enjoy being united. It's missional, right? He says, I, I want you to do this, God. So that the world, when they look at the church, says, man, what they're saying must be true. Because there's no way that this group of people would be able to come together. There's no way that people that are this different, that have this many different ideas, that have this many different walks of life, there's no way that this could be real unless the message that they say about their Savior is actually true. He wants to use the unity in the church that he is building to cause the world to see and believe that Jesus really was sent by God. He really is the Savior of the world. And then he 
calls us, all disciples, to go, right? We've looked, I'm not going to read the Great Commission again. We've referenced it a couple of times in, in the last few weeks. But, you know, go and make disciples. And the, the, the language means, like, as you are going, do this. Not if you go. It's as you are going. You are going to be going in all kinds of directions. And as you go, tell others about Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. And so church, let's embrace the unity and diversity that Jesus is calling for the church. And let's join together to advance the good news of the gospel. All right? Let's let our diverse unity just kind of make the world think, this doesn't make sense. But what they're saying has to have something to it because look how they've united together. Jesus has called us and united us for that purpose. The second truth from Luke 6 is this that we'll look at today. Jesus modeled a ministry of truth and compassionate love. Jesus modeled a ministry of truth and compassionate love. So he summons the disciples together after his night of prayer. And he calls out and appoints 12 apostles that are going to be his sent out messengers that are going to train under him for uh, the next couple of years. And then after that, they start coming down and he's going to model there and of course model throughout his ministry uh, what that should look like. What, like what, the, what believers are being called into and that's a ministry of truth and compassionate love. 17 through 19 back in Luke 6. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those minted by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. So they come down from the mountain. He's appointed his twelve that he and this group of disciples come down to, they stand on this kind of level place, what they think is likely just kind of like a plateau area as they're coming down the mountainside. There's a flattened out area and they stop there and Jesus starts to teach them. Uh, and there's a large crowd. It's, there's a large crowd of people who are actually his disciples, right? He's got his 12 apostles and that larger group of disciples. But then there's the large crowd that they've, they've heard these things about him. They've heard the news that's been spreading. We've been seeing that multiple times. The news continued to spread about this man and about his teaching and about the power and authority that he has to heal and forgive And there are people from all over, Judea, Jerusalem, and then we see even some Gentile areas, Tyre and Sidon, 
Luke again emphasizing Jesus was the Savior of the world, right? We said that was one of, one of Luke's goals in this gospel is to present Jesus as the Savior of the world, not just the Savior for the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. And so these people that are coming to him, these people that Jesus is going to demonstrate his love and compassionate care for them are from all over. Judea, Jerusalem, and even the Gentile regions. He came for the world. In verse 18, they came to hear his teaching, right? They've, they've been amazed. We saw that language. They were amazed at the authority of his teaching. He teaches different than anyone else that they've ever heard before. And so they come to hear his teaching, but they also come for healing, uh, they are all those who are sick are trying to get to Jesus because Jesus has this authority, this ability to heal them, to completely restore them. And so here we see both with his teaching and with his healing that truth, teaching the truth and compassionate love, he he models together. Right? There, there wasn't a space just for one or the other. He stood firmly on the truth, perfectly on the truth of God's Word, uh, but he also cared greatly, was motivated by compassion for the needs of the people. He saw them hurting. He saw them suffering. And he hated that that's what was going on with people's lives. And he was motivated to care for them. So, caring spiritually and caring physically about their issues. Verse 19, the crowds are pressing in. The crowds are trying to touch him because everyone who touched him received like power that's flowing out of him and they were healed of all their diseases those who were tormented by unclean spirits, they are set free from that bondage. Truth and compassion, not separate from each other, but united together for God's glory, right? And we're called to follow that in the ministry that Jesus modeled throughout his ministry on earth. We are called to follow that, speaking the truth. Standing firm in the truth, but constantly demonstrating the compassionate love of God that we see in Jesus Christ, right? In Ephesians, Paul writes these words to the church. Ephesians 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is head, who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. The truth and love go together, right? And then we know, like, later on in this uh, letter, Paul talks about the armor of God, right, in, in Ephesians 6. And we see that he talks about, like, put on the belt of truth. Like, truth should be important to us. As believers, we shouldn't waver. We shouldn't, you know, say, well, I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to upset someone. So maybe I just won't say what this is. Standing firm and declaring the truth. But doing that with love and compassion. 
Right? Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Right? The, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, man is beaten and left for dead on the road. And a priest walks by and passes on the other side. A Levite walks by and passes on the other side. But then a Samaritan, the one that you would think, well, surely wouldn't stop for a Jew. The Samaritan stops and he he takes care of the man. He demonstrates compassion and love and care and does whatever it costs to make sure that this man is taken care of. Right? He tells the, the individual that he leaves him with, if, if, if there's anything else that I'll owe you, I will give it to you. It cost him to demonstrate love for that individual. Jesus was using that parable because he had been asked by someone who wanted to justify himself. And he said, well, you know, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this parable, and then in Luke 10, verse 36 and 37, we see this. Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Show compassionate love for the needs of others. Go and do the same thing. Whatever it costs you, pour it out. Demonstrate loving compassion for others. The same way that you would want someone to care for you. We can't choose one over the other. Truth or compassionate love. And sometimes it's it's easy to do that. It's like, well, you know, we've, we've got to take a stand on this. This is our thing. We're going to stand by the truth of God's Word. And we're going to leave it to somebody else. Somebody else has to take care of all those problems. We can't, we can't address everything, right? We talked about that a little bit in, in Sunday school this morning. Um, and we can't also say, well, then, you know, we're, we're going to just really make sure people feel the love. Like we're going to demonstrate how much we care about them, but we're going to not really take a strong stand on what, what the truth of God's word is. We can't choose one side or, or the other. We have to stand firm in both of those. If both of them mattered to Jesus, the truth and compassionate love, then they should matter to the church. He's modeled that for us so that we will care about the same things. Truth and compassionate love. The Dallas Theological Seminary motto uh, tries to capture that. right? What they want to instill in their students. Teach truth. Love well. Teach truth. Love well. They have to go together. Standing for the truth while compassionately caring for others. Church, Jesus has called us. Jesus has united us in a mission, in his mission, right? To take the good news of the gospel out to the lost world. And he modeled what that ministry should look like. Standing firm in the truth and compassionately loving others in their needs. 
So let's unite together, right? Let's go all in. Whatever it costs, it, you can have it all. Go all in on those two things in our lives and in our ministries. And as we do that, let's ask God to use what he's given us and use us for his glory to reach the lost with the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your call on each of our lives. We thank you for uniting us in ways that uh, don't make sense in this world. We ask that you will forgive us for the times that we let things of this world divide us and distract us from the mission that you have called us to. Continue to build us up in Jesus. Unite us in Jesus Christ. And then use us as individuals and use us as Dogwood Church to be a demonstration of the truth and the compassionate love that you have. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.